Hello and welcome to this special episode of the John Henry Weston Show. We're going to be speaking today with John Droz. He's an independent physicist and founder of the Alliance for Wise Energy Decisions. He's a longtime environmental advocate and he has pushed back for decades on the far left climate agenda. He's been targeted by the left as one of the most significant activists getting in the way of liberal climate change plans in the U.S. He's particularly notable for his advocacy in North Carolina, where he's successfully lobbied state lawmakers to drop climate change plans. Now, after the 2020 election, Droz put together a team of experts created multiple reports about election issues, part of which were used by Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell in court cases. You're going to want to stay tuned. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. John Droz, thank you for joining us on the program. My pleasure, John Henry. So how do we get from the findings, scientific findings, of massive anomaly uh, to the fact that you reviewed, I think, 80 court cases, election challenges, um, and all of them uh, being uh, dismissed, uh, I think at this point, nearly all of them. What do you make of that? And, and are there any still ongoing cases? That there's 83 or so is what we have on our list here. Uh, they have not all been dismissed. Uh, there's, I think, I'm doing this by memory, I think there's uh, 18 that have yet to be adjudicated mm -hmm. out of that number. Right. Uh, the largest, we, we then divided, and I had quite a few attorneys look at this too, because I'm not an attorney, and they have their own language and all. Uh, so I had quite a few attorneys, like, 20 look at this and I've gotten some improvements. So by and large though, they agree with what we're saying. So anyways, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the largest category that these fell into was that, uh, your category we decided were appropriate, was the uh, cases that were dismissed for legal technicalities. In other words, the full, ca the case wasn't really heard you know, where there was evidence provided and blah, 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 blah. Uh, the case was dismissed. And that, that's really what happened in the most recent Supreme Court decision. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't hear it at all. They didn't listen to anything. They didn't, I, they didn't look at anything. I don't know. Maybe they looked at prior things. But the whole thing up to that point was a bunch of same type of actions. Uh, missed because it's moot. In other words, that was one of the reasons given by the Supreme Court. In other words, that they're saying we're not going to review this because it's too late to do anything about it. Okay. Well, that's absurd. <laughs> that's absurd. Well, go into that. Not... Why? Why is that absurd? Why? Why uh, well, shouldn't because, it be? Because uh, what's happened here is going to happen again, mm -hmm. uh, unless it's fixed. Uh, we're going to just keep going through the cycle over and over again. So there was definitely a lot of things that happened were wrong. And uh, we need to acknowledge those. We need to address those. Um, but, uh, in in your in your take, is it wrong that, enough to have swung the election? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Uh, again, one of the things that we tried to do was, for instance, in all our reports, we 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 tried to purposely avoid using the word fraud as an example, mm -hmm. uh, because fraud has a legal connotation to it. 
and, and we're trying to be, actually our reports are generally written for the public. So the, with the public term, uh, use of the term fraud is different from what a judge or a lawyer's attorney or the use the word fraud would be. Uh, well, that, that's sort of an important distinction that the press unfortunately just sort of uh, dismisses. So uh, one of the things that uh, the press says, one of their um, narratives is that there hasn't been any widespread fraud in the 2020 election. Well, the key word there is widespread. That, that no one is defining what widespread means. At least I haven't seen it defined. See, the implication is that this isn't worth looking into unless there is uh, extreme uh, examples of, of fraud here. But, but that's simply not true. That's not what's the story. Uh, as the anybody following the election would know, the whole election came down to four or five uh, swing states. And uh, widespread doesn't mean a 50% error or 20% error, even or even a 10% error. In fact, if there was a, a 5% uh, <clears throat> uh, errors, let's say, false uh, votes for whatever reason, uh, that would be enough to uh, change the entire election. So I wouldn't call a 5% amount, and actually in some cases it'd be less than 5%, but I wouldn't call 5% that the public would say that's widespread. Uh, but that's part of the, the misleading narrative in my view. So from what we've seen, uh, we, we've we tried not to uh, assign uh, where the fault is. In our Pennsylvania and our Michigan report, for example, uh, what, what our focus was to say, are there statistical aberrations here that are hard to explain under normal circumstances? And the answer is unequivocally, yes. Mm -hmm. there is what, what are the types of irregularities uh, or of these abnormalities that, that you saw? Well, types is the type of thing we didn't so much get into. We were just looking at statistics here as far as Michigan and Pennsylvania. So that's the question to say, okay, if, if this, this particular vote here by this county had one chance of a million and happening, the next question would be, well, what, what caused that? Well, that, that wasn't really our job. We, we don't have the data for that. We didn't have the time for that. All we could say is that's where the problem is. Now, here's a parallel to it. Uh, the parallel is that if, if you had somebody that was a neighbor of yours, a, a, a woman, let's say, married couple that had just gotten divorced, and all of a sudden uh, the woman uh, disappears, doesn't show up. So she's still living with her husband, former husband. So everybody starts looking and say, well, where is this woman? What happened to her? Well, they start looking to the husband and say, well, maybe he had something to do with it. Well, then it turns out she had a boyfriend. Well, maybe he had something to do with it. Well, then it turns out she had some dealings with a loan shark here. Well, maybe he had something to do with it. Blah, 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 blah. There's all sorts of possibilities. But until they can actually find a body, the law enforcement is pretty, pretty well handicapped to come up with an answer. Easy to speculate. I could make a dozen speculations. So that's sort of what we have here. We are in a situation here where what our job is, our team's job, was to come in and to find the body. 
So we're saying, okay, in Pennsylvania, there's 67 counties. People are saying uh, Philadelphia is where the most corruption is. Well, maybe they add is where it's a corrupt place. But the fact is, looking at the statistics, Philadelphia County wasn't even in the top five aberration uh, counties. The number one county was Montgomery. So for people to go look in Philadelphia, even though there'd be some thought about that, uh, is, in our view, a waste of time. They should be looking at Montgomery County. Right. And what's the kind of extremity that you saw in Montgomery County? Well, the uh, that's explained in our, our uh, Pennsylvania report here. It, it just had uh, a lot of aberrations compared to other statistical things here. In other words, comparing county to county. As they say, you look, we compared all 67 counties to each other as one thing. So fun people can say, well, there's more absentee Democratic ballots this year, blah, blah, blah. So, okay, well, we're comparing all those things, one county to another. But looking at what happened in Montgomery County was completely different than what happened in Philadelphia County or Allegheny County or other counties like that. So it's comparing one to another. Another would be to compare 2020 results to 2016 results, as an example. So we were limited by the amount of data we actually had, but statisticians, I mean, they're numbers people. So the more numbers you give them, the more they can analyze it. So the bottom line is that we we identified the five worst counties in Pennsylvania, and that's effectively where the body is. So the next level is required that somebody has to do an investigation there. Somebody like uh, Russ Ramblin or somebody else to come in and do a forensic audit of one or more of those counties. That would be the appropriate thing to do. Just like an investigator would look at a body, once we found the body, then the question is, okay, how did they die? Uh, who did it? And then there's some other people in the series here that have to do their job. Our job was to get the ball rolling in the right direction. Right. So at this point, uh, such an investigation even doesn't look very hopeful, <clears throat> at least from my <clears throat> vantage point. Does it look hopeful for, from yours? mean uh, hopeful for happening? Yes. Uh, well, probably not. Uh, unfortunately, I would say from what we know, there has been a few. Uh, there's one going on in uh, Arizona, uh, I pronounce it Mar Mar Maricopa County. Uh, that's one that they are doing some investigation on, but by and large, they haven't done. And I think a lot of it has to do with the media mantra saying, well, there really isn't that big a problem here. And yeah, there may be some really extreme abnormalities, but it isn't worth the time and trouble to look into. On the other hand, I, I do know, we have gotten to know some uh, legislators and some legislators, particularly in states where the legislators are um, a GOP, uh, they are trying to do something about it. So for instance, in Georgia this last week, uh, they did pass some, uh, what appears to be some meaningful legislation in the, the assembly, the house of, of Georgia. And the Senate is, uh, working on something similar, maybe even more strong. On the other hand, people on the left here, uh, they're talking about things like HR1, whatever, this is, this, is, this, is, this is really bad stuff in my view here. And my big picture view here, John, is that uh, the left keeps out maneuvering the right here on all of these issues. And there's two reasons why. Hmm. The two reasons why? Yes. The two reasons why are, and I say this from doing being in this business of you all for 50 years, uh, so I've worked with thousands of people. So my view is that there's two problems with people on the right. Number one, I'm talking about particularly uh, groups, let's say conservative organizations in the United States. These are at least people who have some 
some money, some some presence here as far as the media, whatever. First problem is that these groups here, even though they have a lot of commonality of interest, they don't work very well together. They just don't. I mean, this is this is this is an enormous mixed opportunity in my view. I'm talking about people like Heritage, Heartland, CEI, blah, blah, blah. These are groups here. So part of that is that I took the time and trouble to actually do some research to say, how many conservative-leaning groups are there, national ones, in the United States? Hmm. Have you seen a list of, uh, of that? No. I didn't. I, do, I couldn't find one, so I made up one by doing some research. So in... Checking it out, going to their website, looking into what their mission, same stuff like that was. I was able to identify. We're talking about conservative leaning, yeah, uh, national, not not local, regional groups, national groups here. I was able to identify at this point over 130. Wow. Um, well, that's right. That's typically the answer. Most people, if I ask how many conservative leaning national groups are there, they say, well, 10 to 15 or 20 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well. I have the names of 130. So that's part of the problem. Think of what we could do if these 130 people were working together, 130 groups, I mean, working together. But no, no. The irony is, if you look at it on the other side, uh, the left is working together. Comparable organizations. So if you take the Sierra Club, uh, Union of Concerned Scientists, Greenpeace, et cetera, those people actually work together. They have meetings. They come up with plans of actions here. They come up with messaging. The whole kit and caboodle. They work together significantly more than groups do on the right. To me, that's that's an extraordinary uh, deficiency here. I'm a big believer in some simple um, uh, idioms like united we stand, divided we fall. I, I don't know what's going to take before people on the right saying, hey, what we're doing here isn't working. So that's problem number one. Problem and, and believe me, I'm not saying this from the outside. I'm saying this from working with these people very closely. Second problem is that uh, in in messaging, the people on the right here uh, just just have very little understanding of uh, public relations and uh, what I would call more sophisticated communication. They're they're antiquated in what their messaging is based on. Again, if you look at to the left, say, how does the left doing a messaging? Oh, my God. It's a hugely different, hugely different. The left understands messaging much, much better than the right does. So as a simple example, the left here has decided some time ago that an important part of getting their message across was is that they had to infuse into the vocabulary uh, words, phrases, that were supportive of their agenda. So, what, like what? Well, I've identified like 50. So an example is the phrase wind farm. Okay, so there's, so there's no such thing as a wind farm. <laughs> That's a completely made up phrase. Wind farm doesn't exist. The only thing that's farmed uh, on a wind facility is subsidies. But they, they know they're going into rural areas here and they knew that rural people wouldn't be particularly happy about having an industrial wind complex, 
plopped down in their backyard or on a farm field or whatever else. So they purposefully came up with the, the phrase, this is a wind farm, because they wanted to send a message that this was a bucolic, uh, pastoral, stuff like that. It's, and it's none of those things. It's a complete lie. It's an industrial complex. But the left knew that to convey this to the public, they had to uh, re-message re uh, what was really going on here. So to me, that's an example of, I give you a clean energy. There's a whole bunch of them. In fact, I, I'll send you a paper. I put together a list of uh, some of these. Uh, so number one is that these people are doing this on the left. Now, if I look for examples that are on the right, I see like, I don't know, 1% of what's being done on the left here, a, a huge difference. The people on the right don't get the importance of the, the vocabulary in our vernacular. They, they just don't get it. I mean, I sure you can tell me any examples that the right has made up these type of things that sell their message. I don't know any. No, it, it uh, does seem like there's a, a big move. Concession is a very good, uh, seemingly way we do things on the right. It's it's funny. Uh, I mean, it's from from our own field, we know that um, you know we had the marriage wars over same sex marriage, and we've insisted on using scare quotes around the term marriage. But most of our own colleagues in the same fight has said, "Oh well, no, that we've got to go past that." So there is a. There is a definite want to concede, and I find that with a lot of conservatives, um, the want to just, yeah, but we want to be normal, so we have to give in on this, that, and the other thing. It's a very strong tendency, I find, uh, on, uh, with people on the right, for sure. Well, I, I agree with you 100% here, and I, I said the same thing. I've got up at meetings here with scientists and say, please extract the phrase wind farm out of your vocabulary. There is no such thing. You want to say wind facility or wind project or a whole bunch of other alternative things you can say. And then the very next person who gets up, a PhD, conservative, says wind farm. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not purposely, but uh, yeah. just, uh, you know, as a matter of rote, you know, we just used to say in a wind farm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're just not paying attention. And this is what I mean. We're losing the PR messaging war here because the left here is much more tuned in about what needs to be done as far as messaging. So the public is buying a lot of the baloney sell by the left because the right isn't working together to come up with uniformity. And number two, has little understanding of uh, communication PR techniques here to be utilizing here. Wow, that's great. So to me, those are the two big things. And I would hope you and your group here write about that because we need to bring more attention to that. That that has to be fixed. Absolutely. If it isn't fixed, uh, we're lost here. Awesome. John Dros, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. And may God bless you. Thank you, John Henry. I appreciate the opportunity. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we are communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers, are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate.
They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.